Today's Monday, August 7th, 2023, and this is 5 at 8. With you today are Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman. In this episode, we'll talk about U.S. scientists achieving net energy gain in a nuclear fusion reaction, Porton Downs' efforts to prevent future pandemics, Russia's air attacks on Ukraine, HSBC's apology for calling the U.K. government weak, and the joint naval patrol by China and Russia near Alaska. Story number one. According to The Guardian, U.S. scientists at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory have achieved net energy gain in a nuclear fusion reaction for the second time. The experiment, conducted in the National Ignition Facility, produced a higher energy yield than a previous breakthrough in December. Nuclear fusion involves fusing light elements like hydrogen to create heavier elements and release a burst of energy. This sustainable and low-carbon energy source has the potential to provide plentiful clean power without greenhouse gas emissions or radioactive waste. While the technology is not yet ready for power plants, scientists see this achievement as evidence that the power of the stars can be harnessed on Earth. Good news, Linda. It looks like we've made another stride in the world of nuclear fusion. U.S. scientists, for the second time now, have achieved net energy gain at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. What a leap, huh? Absolutely. It's undeniably a significant scientific milestone, and one that's been decades in the making. The principle behind nuclear fusion is essentially the same process that powers our sun and other stars, where light elements like hydrogen combine to form heavier elements, releasing a massive amount of energy. But to achieve this process here on Earth, in a controlled and sustainable manner, that's been the challenge. Right. And from what I understand, this second achievement produced a higher energy yield as compared to the one in December. So it's not just about repeating the process, but also improving it. But what does this net energy gain actually mean? Great question, Mark. So in the context of fusion... Net energy gain means that the energy derived from the fusion reaction is more than the energy put in to initiate that reaction. For instance, in this case, the laser delivered 2.05 megajoules to the target, and the fusion reaction produced 3.15 megajoules of energy output. In essence, they got out more energy than what they put in. It's a significant breakthrough because one of the major hurdles in fusion technology has been to achieve a process where the energy payoff is greater than the energy invested. That's fascinating, Linda. Now, I've read that this could be a potential game-changer for clean power. Can you explain how so? Sure, Mark. Fusion reactions release no greenhouse gases or radioactive waste byproducts. Additionally, the fuel for fusion, which consists of heavy forms of hydrogen, deuterium, and tritium, is incredibly energy-dense. To give you an idea, one kilogram of fusion fuel can provide as much energy as 10 million kilograms of fossil fuel. It's a tantalizing prospect for a world grappling with climate change and depleting fossil fuel reserves. However, it's crucial to note that while these advancements are promising, the technology isn't quite ready yet for viable power plants. There's still a long road ahead. Yes, it's an exciting development, but we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. It's taken us 70 years to reach this point, and there's still much work to be done. But hey, the power of the stars may not be as far off as we once thought, huh? The potential implications of harnessing nuclear fusion are immense, from transforming our energy landscape to reshaping our strategies against climate change. But it's a journey, and each step brings us closer to that goal. Story number two. Porton Down. 
a secretive scientific research center in the UK, is working to prevent future pandemics. According to the BBC, the facility's Vaccine Development and Evaluation Center is focusing on developing vaccines for known infections, potential threats like bird flu and new COVID variants, and unexpected diseases like Disease X. They are collaborating with the pharmaceutical industry, scientists, and doctors to support vaccine development at all stages. Porton Down scientists are currently working on a vaccine for Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever, and they played a role in identifying the Omicron variant's ability to bypass some COVID vaccine protection. The center is also monitoring bird flu outbreaks and aiming to develop vaccines against new threats within 100 days. The hope is that the lessons learned from the COVID pandemic will enable better preparedness and proactive measures to prevent future pandemics. When you read about Porton Down's goal to stop the next pandemic in its tracks, it's really something, isn't it? I mean, this is the kind of proactive, forward-thinking approach that we need in dealing with potential health crises. No more sitting around, just reacting to what comes next. Yes, Mark. The idea of stopping a pandemic in its tracks is as ambitious as it gets. But, you know, the pandemic has taught us that we need to be better prepared. The emergence of disease X, as they call it, an unforeseen disease like COVID, is not just a possibility, it's a probability. Yeah, it's not a matter of if, but when. And you know what, Linda? I find it fascinating how this facility is working on threats of all sorts, from antibiotic-resistant superbugs to potential problems like bird flu and new COVID variants. It's like they're preparing for all scenarios. That's true, Mark. And the fact that they're also working on the first vaccine against Crimean-Congo hemorrhagic fever, which could spread further with climate change, shows they're not just looking at the immediate future, but also considering the long-term impacts of global issues. Right, right. And speaking of climate change, there's also the issue of how it's contributing to the rising tide of risk, as Dame Jenny Harries puts it. Urbanization, climate change, and people living closer to animals, it's all creating a sort of perfect storm for new diseases to emerge. Yes, and the implications of this are huge. If we fail to address these issues, we risk facing more frequent and potentially more devastating pandemics. But on a positive note, the work being done at Porton Down is definitely a step in the right direction. Their focus on collaboration with the pharmaceutical industry, scientists, and doctors to support all stages of vaccine development is commendable. Agreed, Linda. The 100 Days mission to develop a vaccine against a new threat in 100 days is something to watch. It's a game changer. And think about it. If those vaccines had been available just a bit earlier during the COVID pandemic, we could have saved many more lives. As Prof. Isabel Oliver said, we could have returned to greater normality much more quickly. It's a powerful reminder of the importance of being prepared and having the right infrastructure in place. The lessons learned from the COVID pandemic could indeed help us be better prepared next time. Yeah, it's about time we got on the front foot and tried to stop pandemics before they even begin. And if a new disease does occur, we need to stop it in its earliest stage. It's a tall order, but hey, with facilities like Porton Down and the scientific advancements we've seen, it might just be possible. I hope so, Mark. It's certainly a daunting challenge, but one that we must face head on. And we must remember that this is not just a responsibility of scientists or health organizations, but of all of us. Each of us has a role to play in preventing the spread of diseases and ensuring a healthy future. Story number three. 
Russia launched a series of air attacks on Ukraine using missiles and drones, resulting in casualties and damage to civilian infrastructure, as reported by Al Jazeera. The Ukrainian Air Force successfully shot down several missiles and drones, but some targets were hit. The Russian army claimed to have attacked Ukrainian airbases. Ukrainian officials reported casualties from a bomb attack on a blood transfusion center. Ukraine praised Western military support and mentioned the use of air defense systems provided by the United States and Germany. Ukrainian forces also targeted bridges and road links in occupied territories, causing damage and casualties. A peace summit in Saudi Arabia ended without concrete action. Russia did not attend the meeting. Will you look at that, Linda? I mean, on one hand, you have Russia launching an offensive with advanced weaponry, crews, and hypersonic missiles, and on the other, Ukraine remaining resilient, shooting down a significant number of those missiles. The boldness and the sheer tenacity of the Ukrainians is commendable. I absolutely agree, Mark. It's heartbreaking, though, seeing the civilian casualties and the destruction of infrastructure, but it's also a testament to the Ukrainian spirit. This situation reminds me of Britain during World War II Blitz, a nation standing up to aggression and showing immense resilience. Right, right. And the fact that Ukraine is able to do this shows the importance of allies, like the U.S. and Germany supplying air defense systems to Ukraine, which, according to President Zelensky, are yielding significant results. Yes, indeed. It is reminiscent of how international support can play a crucial role in such conflicts. That being said, the end goal should always be to seek diplomatic solutions. The peace summit in Saudi Arabia, unfortunately, didn't result in any tangible action. It's quite disappointing. Well, diplomacy is certainly a tricky business, isn't it? Especially when one of the key players, in this case Russia, didn't even attend the summit. It's like trying to solve a puzzle with a piece missing. It's a complex situation, no doubt. And we can only hope for a peaceful resolution soon. In the meantime, the resilience displayed by Ukraine is a testament to their strength and determination. Story number four. According to the BBC, HSBC's head of public affairs, Sir Sherard Cowper Coles, has apologized for calling the UK government weak for complying with US demands to cut back business dealings with China. The comments were made during a private roundtable discussion and do not reflect the views of HSBC or the China British Business Council. HSBC, which generates a significant portion of its profits in Asia, including China, has to navigate a delicate balance between Washington and Beijing. The UK and other Western governments have been caught in the trade restrictions between the US and China. Can you imagine being caught between two titans like the US and China, Linda? It's like being a small boat in a stormy sea. I mean, look at HSBC. It's a UK-based firm, but it makes most of its profits in Asia, including China. Now, when the geopolitical winds change direction, they're caught in a tough spot. Indeed. It's a complex situation. Businesses that operate globally, like HSBC, often have to navigate through these geopolitical realities. It's not just about maximizing profits. It's also about maintaining a balance between different national interests. And sometimes that can lead to some unexpected consequences, like the recent comments from Sherrod Cowper Coles. Right you are, Linda. And it's not the first time we've seen something like this. Remember the Huawei incident in 2020? The UK banned the Chinese telecoms giant from their 5G networks, which was seen as a move to align with the US. Companies operating in both countries had to tread carefully to avoid losing out on either side. Exactly. And it's not just about the business implications, but also the ethical ones. 
What role should corporations play in these geopolitical conflicts? Should they take a stand or try to maintain neutrality? It's a difficult question with no easy answers. And let's not forget about the customers and employees. They are the ones who are ultimately affected by these decisions. Imagine working for a company that's caught in the middle of a geopolitical dispute. It's not an easy situation. That's a great point, Mark. It's a multifaceted issue that requires a balanced approach. And as we've seen with the recent HSBC incident, even the slightest misstep can lead to serious consequences. Story number five. The Guardian reports that the U.S. has dispatched four Navy warships and a reconnaissance airplane after China and Russia sent a joint naval patrol near Alaska. This patrol, believed to be the largest of its kind to approach U.S. territory, has been described as highly provocative, given the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and tensions between the U.S. and China over Taiwan. The U.S. Northern Command confirmed the patrol, but stated that it remained in international waters and was not considered a threat. The Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C. also stated that the patrol was not targeted at any third party and was part of the annual cooperation plan between China and Russia. U.S. senators from Alaska are closely monitoring the situation and emphasizing the importance of Alaska's role in national defense and territorial sovereignty. Is this not the most audacious move we've seen yet? I mean, a combined Chinese and Russian naval patrol near Alaska. That's a bold statement. It's pretty clear they're trying to project their power in the Pacific and challenge the U.S. naval dominance. It's a maneuver that's not just symbolic, but also deeply strategic. The Pacific is a vital region for the U.S., not just in terms of defense, but also economically. I mean, the presence of foreign vessels in such proximities, it's unsettling. Unsettling indeed, Linda. And it's not just about the U.S., right? The whole world should be paying attention. This joint operation speaks volumes about the growing alliance between China and Russia. These two countries are, uh, not exactly known for their respect for international norms. And now, they seem to be joining forces in a very visible way. Yes, Mark. It's a worrying trend. And we need to remember the context. Russia's ongoing war in Ukraine. The political tensions between China and the U.S. over Taiwan. These maritime incursions are becoming more frequent, and it raises the question of how the international community should respond. And we can't just sit back and watch. The U.S. response, sending four Navy warships and a reconnaissance airplane, is a start. But we need to be prepared for a, a, a more robust response if necessary. Agreed, Mark. But we also need to remember that military action should be the last resort. Diplomacy, negotiation, these should always be the first course of action and we need to work closely with our allies to ensure a coordinated response. Couldn't agree more, Linda. It's a complex issue, and there's no easy solution. But one thing is clear. We can't afford to ignore these rising tensions in the Pacific. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by Artificial Intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.